0: Welcome to the Holy Donors Podcast. Join Andrew, Matt, Wren, and me, Thaddeus, as every week we bring you inspiring stories of radical generosity that have changed the world. So Andrew, you ready to get started? Can't wait.
1: All right, so last episode we talked about the death of Marie and Pierre receiving his freedom. He then met Juliet, continued building his hairdressing business, and they adopted Euphemy. It was also great to hear about Pierre reconnecting with his godmother, Aurore and building that relationship. And then we ended the episode talking about Pierre's death in 1853. So maybe in this episode, Thaddeus, we can lean into
0: Pierre's philanthropy and his legacy, right? Yeah, I think that's, that's what we need to do. We've, we've reached that point where it's time to talk about why he's even being considered to be a holy donor. Let's do it. right? He's, he lived through a life of tumult, a life of uh, destruction— but also a life of love and grace, and he was comforted and supported by his Catholic faith, and he created a loving marriage with Juliet, and it seems like that radiated out from himself, and he and Juliet really disposed of the the money that he made as a hairdresser for the benefit of others, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But we've got to start with, what was it that they had to dispose of? So, when he died in 1853 and his estate was appraised, it came in at about $19,400 in 1853 dollars. Okay. Now, the granddaughter of one of his clients and a friend of Pierre, Georgiana Schuler Brandt, noted that the actual sum of the estate was probably closer to $30,000 because her father... George Lee Shuler, had held some real estate on behalf of Toussaint mm. because at that time in New York, blacks were not allowed to hold real property. Oh, wow. So if you take that $30,000 and you calculate the relative worth of the estate in 1853 versus now, that's equivalent to a person dying in 2021 with an estate valued at $1,040,000. Wow. That's amazing. That's the kind of you know value purchasing power mm-hmm, right. um, that it had in 1853.
2: And that was his his estate, which means it was what he had left over. It does not include what he was already able to give away.
0: Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. So he turned himself into a man of means mm-hmm. and someone who could and had been making a difference in his circle of New York society for some time. So we heard a little bit about just his generosity of spirit and and giving last episode, but why
1: don't you tell us about some of the areas that he was most active in when it came to philanthropy and support?
0: Yeah, I'd call these the the highlights of his philanthropy. These are the elements that are most often cited. And then we'll we'll also dive into some other ways that he was a, a generous, holy donor, in my opinion. Um, but he's considered to be the founder of Catholic Charities of New York City because wow. he had a hand in starting its first Catholic orphanage and in starting the city's first means of caring for black orphans. Oh, wow! And I'll go into more detail about that in a moment. Okay. He also is known for donating funds to build old St. Patrick's Cathedral. Nevertheless, he was refused a seat at its dedication ceremony. That's so wild. Here is an example of where racism and prejudice was clearly at work and affecting Pierre's life, right? Even though we had such an interesting situation where we talked about his role as being a Frenchman, kind of trumping the fact that he was black and and that he was even enslaved at, at some points, here he clearly felt the sting uh, of racial discrimination. But you know what? He he was no dummy. I mean, he probably could have anticipated. I think he probably anticipated that that might might happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. That he might get shut out of a of a public citywide event like that. But yet, his virtue of magnanimity that we talked about last time, he still contributed anyway. He knew it was a good cause. Right. Just because he was going to suffer and be slighted because of it didn't prevent him from contributing to something that was that was good. And that speaks so highly of him and. Gosh, I mean, we all need to follow that example, you know, yeah. in our lives. And then I think his other last philanthropy highlight would be he and especially Juliet donated funds for the Oblate Sisters of Providence. They were an order of black nuns founded in Baltimore in the 1820s. And Matt, you got us, you got a little bit more information about that order of nuns. Can you share that with us?
2: Yeah, it was actually officially founded on July 2nd, 1829. And it's it's actually still around today. It's been around for 192 years. And currently, the order has approximately 80 members that span quite a ways. They have sisters in Baltimore, Miami, Buffalo, and Costa Rica.
0: Wow, really cool. So from humble beginnings and beginnings that, that were, you know, partly made possible by Pierre and Juliet. You've got a, certainly a, a hemisphere wide order that's still in existence today, 192 years later. So Thaddeus, these are amazing
1: highlights and I really appreciate it. One of my questions is, is a lot of our holy donors and really a lot of people, we see models in our life. We see examples of people that are practicing generosity and we then want to emulate those people, right? Live our lives. and um, We see the joy that it brings them. We want to do it Take the same road. Who do you think was in Pierre's life that just modeled this type of magnanimity, this type of generosity, this type of humility and faithfulness, and ultimately gave him this example?
0: Yeah, I think that's a difficult question to answer completely, but I think one one person that I would pull out would be his grandmother Zenobi, who we haven't spent a lot of time talking about, but again, remember she was the Governess of the boys, the Berard boys, when they mm-hmm. were in Paris, and she was kind of the household manager and domestic general of the of the Berard household. And I think that everything that I learned about her was that she was a model of warmth and generosity and self sacrifice. She clearly had the Berards' complete trust and had their hearts because she was given such responsibility over their boys and given such freedom to to travel independently and move about the streets of Paris with relative ease. yeah, She clearly must have been a remarkable woman and somebody in how she lived her life and and lived her station to glorify God and to the best that she could set an example for Pierre. And then his modern biographer, Arthur Jones, I think— he wants to say that the household that the Berards created, where they were trying as best they could to live faithful Catholic lives, and they tried it; it would seem to follow the code noir, that they were a family who also set a positive example for Pierre. Yeah, but again, that's that's a complicated sort of. Connection or influence to to draw because again we have the tragedy of him being an enslaved person and them have ultimately having having power over him. Right. But it it would seem that that maybe they had set a positive example for him and he certainly had as we showed last time he had a great a great deal of of love and care for Marie. What were some of the other ways that Pierre practiced generosity
1: and service?
0: Well. I think I think it's important what we can say is that some of those big examples of generosity or big examples of philanthropy, they started with much smaller examples of care for his fellow man. A friend of his, Marie Navarre, wrote to him after he had gained his freedom and, and said in a letter, quote, "'You take on the role of the priest. You are such a religious man, a man of compassion.'" Risking your life taking care of others. It seems that what she was alluding to about risking his life is a reference to the assistance that he rendered to the poor during cholera and yellow fever outbreaks in New York City. Oh, wow. That he may have brought even the Eucharist to the sick during those days and to the hospitalized or to the homebound. And I, I think, you know, there you're talking about models of generosity. He's he's obviously standing in a long line of Catholics before him, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you think right. back to the Christians of ancient Rome taking care of the dying during plagues and the pagans saying, Look how they look how they love or the self sacrifice of a Saint Aloysius Gonzaga who was out ministering to the the suffering in Rome during an epidemic ultimately gave his life doing that. So there's there's Pierre giving of himself in that regard. Pierre and Juliet found money for stranded friends in the Caribbean. They helped poor seminarians continue their studies with financial support. They responded to beggars, to friends, even to passing acquaintances down on their luck. Goods like tobacco were sent to aid family, former colleagues, those in need in numerous Caribbean islands. Yeah, And I thought this was a a you know a cute example they took time and expense to send juliet's famous gumbo to friends in paris aboard a pack boat. <laughs> what do you call gumbo in french uh gumbo oh okay <laughs> <laughs> i believe is um, it is it roux based i don't know okay <laughs> you you've got me there but um yeah these are these are some small examples of philanthropy that demonstrate that i think they were doing those larger acts from their heart. They weren't doing it for ostentatious reasons or to gain notoriety. You
1: mentioned earlier the, the orphanage and the funding of orphans, yeah. and then they sort of lived this through the adoption of Euphemy to some extent. Tell us a little bit more about that piece of their life and how they lived out their faith through the support of orphans.
0: Yeah, they clearly had a heart for for children in need and and children who were separated from their family. Maybe Maybe it was because Pierre was separated from his mother and Zenobi yeah. that they that they felt such of a need to to care for, for orphans, but kind of comes to a, a head in 1816. None other than Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton's Sisters of Charity opened an orphanage for white children in New York at Saint Peter's. Now Saint Peter's was the parish where the Toussaints were married and where they uh, where they attended mass. A client of Pierre's and a friend, she was was a friend, Mademoiselle Madame LaRue, she had initially been the fundraiser behind this charitable effort to gather the funds to build this orphanage. Um, And it had become a popular cause among French and American ladies throughout the city. Well, when Madame LaRue returned to France, she put Pierre in charge of the role wow. as leading the philanthropy drive. Wow! So Pierre continued to gather money for the Sisters of Charity's orphanage amongst his clientele and friends, but then he and his wife at the same time, they began to add orphaned or abandoned black boys to their borders at their home. For many years, they had kept borders in their home in New York, some even whites who rented rooms they found these boys' education. A few of them apprenticed with Pierre at his hairdressing shop. We have some um, letters from Euphemy to Pierre about these good and bad boys. I think our
2: little boarder is very nice. I think he is an old head on young
0: shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then there were some other types that she was a little bit more concerned of. Dear Uncle, I take the liberty of asking what you are going to do with the people
2: in the front room. They will not pay you until you send Mister Quirk after them.
0: <laughs> so, Euphemia was she was a, a dear child and a, and a niece who wrote frequently to her her uncle, and she knew the sacrifices they were making to yep. take care of these these young boys.
3: Wondering how to maximize the potential of your nonprofits year-end appeal letter? Petrus Development is bringing together experts on design, segmentation, printing, and mailing to give you everything you need to know to ace your end-of-the-year appeal. Join the Petrus Development Virtual Summit on year-end appeals, live Tuesday, October 18th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Central. Registration is just $29, but the impact on your appeal will be much greater. Prices go up Monday, October 10th. Visit PetrusDevelopment.com slash Appeal Summit for more details. That's petrusdevelopment. slash
1: appeal summit. So I want to ask you about one other form of generosity that you've kind of pointed out that involves Rosalie and Juliet and Euphemy. Why don't you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, this is a this is a kind of philanthropy or giving that I don't I don't know that we're we we haven't encountered it before, and I don't know that we're going to ever encounter it again. Right. But we know that. Pierre was granted his freedom from Marie in 1807. When she died. When she died on her deathbed. He turned around and used his wealth after he met and courted Juliette to purchase her freedom. She paid her owner so that she could be set free. And he also did the same for Euphémie, so that she could be freed. And there seems to be other cases where they they may have purchased the freedom of of other blacks in their their circle. This is an astounding use of his wealth to buy back the freedom of these close to him and maybe others in that French-American community.
1: Yeah, I mean, it gives me chills just to think about them making a life such that they could do that and then choosing to spend that wealth on people that are were important to them. Mm-hmm. Which is really kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So eighteen fifty three, Pierre Toussaint passes away. Something happens in nineteen sixty eight, over a hundred years
0: later. Why don't you tell us about that? Right. So in nineteen sixty eight, that is the formal official application for canonization by the Archdiocese of New York, Cardinal Cook, the archbishop, for Pierre Toussaint's canonization. Wow. It's submission to the Vatican. And it's a it's an entire, you know, case of telling of his life, his accomplishments, the reasons why he should be considered. What was the phrase that you found is necessary for consideration as a venerable? To live a life of heroic virtue. Right. And I and I think, you know, we could add that into our discussion at the end when we're assessing him as a holy donor. I think he lived a life of heroic virtue, for sure. The next step in the story of his cause for sainthood isn't really necessary for him to become a saint, but it's an indication of how seriously his cause as a person worthy of veneration and honor has become, and that is that in 1989, the Archbishop of New York at that time, Cardinal O'Connor, arranged for his remains to be transferred to St. Patrick's Cathedral, the St. Patrick's Cathedral that we famously know today. And he is the only layman interred there alongside all the cardinal archbishops of New York City. Was that the St. Patrick's Cathedral that he was denied admission to? No, this is oh. the this is new St. Patrick's Cathedral, oh, okay, the, 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 the world-famous cathedral in New York City. Now, the reason why Toussaint was elevated to this high place partly was, I think, to to make up for the fact that his grave was forgotten about after his passing, he had been buried next to Juliet and Euphemie in the cemetery of Old St. Patrick's, and those graves had, had been grown over and lost until a seminary in the 1940s, Charles McTague, discovered them and brought them to light. And so this was to make up for that, that slight. Wow. So then something else happens that's really important in 1997. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's on December 17th when... After consideration of his cause, Pope John Paul II declared Toussaint venerable.
2: Which is really, if if you remember from the Catherine Drexel episode, it's the first official step right. on your way to sainthood, because first it's venerable, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is what he is, uh, living a life of virtue, mm-hmm. and a heroic life of virtue. Next is blessed. And then the third step is canonization, where we recognize him within the Catholic Church as a
0: saint with a capital S. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so if he eventually is canonized a saint, he would be in North America's first black saint. Wow. But thus far, no miracles have been confirmed for Toussaint. And so that's something that we as the faithful can all take part in because we can remember him and ask him to intercede for us in our difficulties. We can ask him to intercede for our friends and family who are in difficult straits or in in need of God's help, God's miracles. And didn't you say you found, Matt, a prayer for the cause of Venerable Toussaint? Yeah, Thaddeus, I did find it. The prayer for the cause
2: of Servant of God, Pierre Toussaint. Lord God, source of love and compassion, we praise and honor you for the virtuous and charitable life of our brother in Christ, Venerable Pierre Toussaint. Inspired by the example of our Lord Jesus, Pierre worshipped you with love and served your people with generosity. He attended mass daily and responded to the practical and spiritual needs of friends and strangers, of the rich and the poor, the sick and the homeless of 19th century New York. If it is your will, let the name of Venerable Pierre Toussaint be officially raised to the rank of saint so that the world may know this Haitian New Yorker who refused to hate or be selfish but instead lived to the full the commandments of heaven and the divine law of love, love for God and for neighbor. By following his example and asking for his prayers, may we too be counted among the blessed in heaven. We ask for this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: So Thaddeus, there's a couple of ways that Pierre has been officially recognized or is sort of annually honored.
0: Tell us about those. There's a number of ways that his kind of legacy lives on, uh, specifically in New York City. The Archdiocese has a Pierre Toussaint guild and cause. Uh, It's an association where people can, can join it, and they're devoting themselves especially to the promotion of his cause for beatification and canonization, making a special dedication to ask for his intercession. There's a scholarship fund the Pierre Toussaint Scholarship Fund. It was established in 1983. The Archdiocese oversees it. It provides scholarships to graduating high school seniors of any background, public, private, and parochial school attendees in the Archdiocese of New York. They're chosen based on strong academic record, active participation at their parish or school, and they have to demonstrate good character and sound leadership ability. I think Venerable Pierre would be very proud of that <laughs> yes. aspect. There's a awards dinner, an annual dinner to support the scholarship fund. Since 1978, it recognizes individuals who work for human life, human rights, and social justice. And it, they're given a Pierre Toussaint medallion in a public ceremony. And then finally, the Archdiocese of New York supports financially and with missionaries the college Pierre Toussaint in Haiti which is a private high school on the island of Haiti for rural youth in a in a pretty rural very poor area of the of the island which is saying something because Haiti <laughs> is one of the poorest countries right. in the world and this is in the poorest of the poor right but i think that is a way that the archdiocese tries to give back and make some recompense for the injustice of slavery. Yeah. So I think the last question that we have
1: now as we wrap up this episode in this season is, was venerable Pierre Toussaint a holy donor? Matt, maybe I'll hand it over to you first.
2: Yeah, I think this is going to be a really short conversation from my end because I think this is is one of the more obvious holy donors that we've done and that is it was he holy absolutely can't argue with the catholic church and when you look at all of the pieces that came in he was a he was a very holy man second was he a donor absolutely he was he was a strong donor i don't think you could be any stronger of a donor than by giving away of your wealth in order to give someone their freedom and by being able to help his his wife his niece and his sister uh, at least those three by their freedom it w- was just an unimaginable ability and philanthropic gift that he was able to give on top of all the other that that he was able to do so yes 100% holy donor
1: great ren what do you say
3: it's hard to put a scale on holiness but he might be the holiest donor we've covered so far <laughs> right like you can say Catherine Drexel had impatience and you know a few things like that there were slight character flaws that wasn't enough to make her not holy, but I can't even see that with Pierre. Like He was patient enough to keep serving his mistress, be the breadwinner for her, basically, right? And the, these things that he did were pretty selfless in some ways. I mean, there's there's more of an argument there when, you, when it comes to the slavery aspect, right? But just the way that he cared for others, gave his money to free them, and the, all the
1: different charity things he did, uh, pretty remarkable guy. Yeah, thanks for sharing. I think I don't have anything new to necessarily add to that conversation. You guys nailed it. Definitely a man of magnanimity, as Thaddeus said a couple of times, a man of radical generosity. I mean, unconventional radical generosity. Certainly a man of faith and a man of humility. So in in my book, yes, absolutely. Thaddeus?
0: Yeah, I think... He certainly wouldn't have been on our radar if there weren't things in the initial appreciation of his story, like giving to old St. Patrick's Cathedral, being considered the founder of Catholic Charities in New York, for example. If there weren't those kind of grand, large-scale donations, he wouldn't be on our radar screen. But I think what impressed me more was how truly he and Juliet lived that little way of St. Therese of Lisieux without even being aware of that being a, a teaching or a spiritual lesson, they live that out in their everyday lives. And the smallness of their generosity, um, not smallness in terms of impact or virtue, but in those little acts of love that, that nobody's going to notice, they still made a, a, a tremendous difference in spreading the gospel and being good witnesses and living out that call, that universal call to holiness.
1: Great. Well, to all of you guys, thank you for being part of a great season. I really enjoyed this conversation on Venerable Pierre Toussaint. And for all of you who are listening, can't wait to have you back next season. Thanks. God bless. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Holy Donors, brought to you by Petrus Development in cooperation with Red Sea Catholic Radio. Theme music by Tommy Kibb, Third Top Productions. Graphics by 86 Creative. If you like us, leave us a review, share us with your friends. And check us out at holydonors.com and on Instagram. Holy Donors, bringing you inspiring stories of radical generosity that have changed the world. Last week, we heard about the Berar family household. I can't not use the French. I was just going to
0: say, you, you're still in your French, your French accent. <laughs> the Berar household. What's going on? Okay. Maybe the dingo ate your baby.
1: The anonymous dingo.
0: Maybe that anonymous dingo <laughs> ate your baby.
1: That's not a knife. This, this is, is a
0: knife. knife. You know <laughs> what a dingo ate your baby is from, right? Seinfeld. Seinfeld, yeah. What do you call a
1: Frenchman wearing sandals?
0: Philippe Flapp. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>